Well, good morning, y'all, again. I thought Norman trained it up a little bit. Y'all, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. My name, somebody gave me a who? Uh, my name's Ed Griffin-Egan. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. Again, I'm thrilled that y'all are here, thankful that you were here. And <clears throat> we are going to talk about freedom today for sure. I got to tell you this, though. This was classic Susan, my wife. And if you know her, you'll know this is classic. Four o'clock yesterday afternoon, she is so such a social creature and got to be with people all the time and so forth. So four o'clock yesterday afternoon, she walked in there and I was I was sitting in the chair reading. And she said, "Hey, you want to go see Crowder tonight?" It's four o'clock in the afternoon yesterday, and I'm thinking next Saturday or the set no t- tonight, last night. And so I, I I've learned in thirty something years of marriage that I just nod, smile and nod and say, "Absolutely, I want to go see Crowder." Well. Raise your hand if you've ever seen Crowder in concert. Dude, like I thought I was at a Skinner concert, but it was Christian lyrics. Y'all know who Skinner is. Please tell me. Okay. Or 38 Special or Molly Hatchet or something like I was in high school, but with cool, lot cooler lyrics. Anyway, one of the cool things about it, though, if you've ever heard a song he sings, Lay Your Head Weary Center, which is a, just a rocking song, he goes from that screaming guitars and the song ends, and then he sings a hymn. And both of them were just incredible. You know, that trend, it was just incredible. You know, and, I, and it made me think about what I, because I knew what we were doing today, that we can go from one week of just rocking loud music, worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, to kind of an unplugged acoustic set, and it's the same worship of the same Lord in the same house. It's just cool. So I hope you all enjoyed that and, and you, were, you were able to really focus and worship on the Lord. Now today, y'all, we are, we're going to look at something. We're stepping out of this series that we've been um, in the book of Acts, A Tale of Ten Cities. And we are going to talk about freedom and we're going to look at something that the Apostle John records Jesus saying in, in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. And this passage is a, a very, very important passage, and it's very important for me and you to understand authentic discipleship and genuine salvation, real, true discipleship and real, true, authentic, genuine salvation. And at the very heart of it in this passage, at the very heart of it, Jesus tells us that that is found in two subjects, and that is truth and freedom, freedom and truth. Those two things, truth and freedom, They are things that people forever, me and you forever, have been searching for. We search and long for truth. Those two things are, they're kind of inextricably linked, tied together because the only thing that has ever, ever truly liberated man is truth. Truth. And it's one of the very things that is under attack is truth. The only thing that has ever set man free is truth, and our heart and our mind long for truth. And it is really is, y'all, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird thing, it's kind of a weird dynamic that inside of us, somewhere in there, we're longing and we're yearning for truth, and we long for the freedom that follows truth. And it's weird because it seems like that we, forever, we suppress, all the time, we suppress the truth. Every culture in every place on the planet, across time, it seems like there is this conflict between I really, 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 really want to know the truth. No, 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 don't tell me the truth. I don't want to hear it. Corporately, that happens. Individually, in ourselves, that happens. Let me give you an example. It's a great example. Old man is kind of sick, has some health problems. He goes to the to the doctor, and the doctor tells him that his diet is terrible, and his diet is jacked up, and he needs to, he needs to, change, he needs to change his diet. And, and Doc lectures the old man on the importance of eating well and how, how much of a difference it makes if you eat right. you got to take in a lot of fruits. you got to take in a lot of vegetables. He gave this man this, this laundry list of things to eat and then things not to eat. And the man calls his kids. When he gets home, he calls his kids, and he, he wants to tell them what's going on about his declining health because he knew his, his kids would be concerned, and he explained to them what the doctor told him and the kind of the prescription 
that uh, for getting better that the doc told him, all these fruits and all these vegetables. A few weeks later, one of the, one of the man's sons calls him up, check on him. He says, okay, Dad, Dr. Dr. Robinson gave you some instructions a while back, like how is it going? And the old man replied, oh, I changed doctors. <laughs> Y'all, that's, like, that's what we do. That's just this classic example of what we do. Sometimes, probably for all of us, sometimes our response to truth is just messed up. So there, there, there are many times when the outward evidence, the external kind of evidence, is that people don't know the truth and don't want to know the truth. Don't want it. Don't want to believe it. Don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, later on in this passage, and we're not going this far in, in, in John chapter 8, but, but later on, later on, Jesus said, and you'll see it on the screen, I think, uh, he says, because I, you know what, I'm going to read it to you. It's John chapter 8. If you give me a minute, that's on the right side of my Bible, right? John chapter 8, verse 45. We're going to look at this again, but I want you to see it now. John chapter 8, verse 45, 46, and 47 And in verse, 40, verse, verse 45, Jesus says, and he's talking to the same group of people that he's talking to in our passage, starts in verse 31. He says, but because I tell the truth, it's Jesus talking, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He says, you, don't, you do not believe me. He says, why do you not believe me? And, 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 and in verse 47, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is it, it, is that you are not of God. So sometimes that's just us. I tell you the truth, he says, but you don't believe me. But I can tell you this, deep inside of every one of us, somewhere in our soul inside, we desperately want the truth to set us free. If a man's soul isn't liberated, y'all, he is in slavery. He is in slavery. He's in bondage. But I can tell you this too, we can take a man who's been liberated by Jesus Christ, who one of the songs we sang a little while ago, a new creation, liberated. We can take that man and we can make him physically a slave and we can stick him in chains and we can stick him in shackles and we can lock the door, the prison door, and he can be behind those bars in chains and, and shackles and he'll be a free man. Think about Paul. Paul's a perfect example. Half the time Paul is in jail and his feet are in chains and his, and his hands and his wrists are in chains. And what's he doing, y'all? He's counting it for joy and he's singing praises to the Lord. So truth and freedom. And it's truth that liberates. It's, it's truth that frees us. And this freedom is permanent freedom. It, it, it is eternal freedom. So again, y'all, uh, John chapter 8, I'm going to give you some context leading up to verse 31. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leadership. His earthly ministry is, is beginning to come to an end. In just a matter of months, he's going to hang on, on a cross. He's made truth claims all over Israel. He's performed, performed miracles and signs and, and wonders, and he's taught like one, the scripture tells us, he taught like one who has authority. He has declared over and over who he is. And they in mass have decided that he's not who he claims to be. They mocked him. They hated him. And now they're in the middle of a conspiracy to kill him. And in the midst of all that, oddly enough, in verse 30, right before our passage, verse 30 tells us that he was speaking. While he was speaking, many responded by believing in him. And it's an odd sort of thing. And this is the same group of people that he's talking to that said uh, what, I, what I read to you in verses 45, 6, and 7. So it's a, it's a weird thing. And I read a lot of writers that are way, way smarter than I am that say that this bunch of folks are, and this is not a theologically correct thing, so don't start throwing darts, say that they are half converts. 
And obviously, there's no such word as being a half convert, half saved. You can't be half saved. But the point is that these men that he's talking about in this passage are beginning to believe. They're beginning to believe that, that this Jesus is who he claimed to be. They hadn't gotten to the finish line of salvation, but there's a spark of belief there. And Jesus wants to take them and that little spark and move them on to the finish line. That's really what he's talking about in 31 through 36. So he becomes, he, Jesus becomes aware that they're beginning to believe and he wants to reveal to them authentic truth and authentic freedom. But as seems to be the case, ultimately they reject him. And that seems to be the case with the Jewish leadership throughout all the Gospels. So ultimately they do reject him. So look, at me, uh, look with me at verse 31. I'll read you this passage, and then we'll go kind of verse by verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they answered him, and you can almost hear them. They're like, well, we are offspring of Abraham. We ain't never been slaves to nobody. How can you possibly say you will become free? When Jesus answers them back, he said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son, little s, the son remains forever. So if the son with a big S sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what we see starting in verse 31 is the Lord's attempt to lead them into full commitment and, and in a full understanding of truth and freedom in Christ. And he does it by laying out, I believe, three things, three, three subjects, three thoughts. The first thing he does is he lays out the path to freedom, kind of the pathway to freedom. Second, he addresses the facade of freedom. And it's really their facade, the Jews' facade of freedom. And the third thing he lays out is the promise of freedom. And I think that me and you can learn a lot from the way Jesus tries to take these leaders from where they are and move them into full faith, full trust, full belief, and full salvation using these three thoughts. So first, let's look at the path to freedom, kind of the track to freedom in these first two verses, verse 31 and 2. He said, if you abide in my word, if you continue, that word abide, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's the path, and it's a pretty clear path. The first thing is believe. Of course, we got to believe. We got to believe. Second thing is continue in my word. When you and I abide in his word, we're displaying evidence of genuine faith. When we continue in his word, we're displaying evidence of a genuine faith. And then after believing and after continuing, we will know the truth. And then what, is, what can the truth do? The truth can set us free. Four steps in that path, four stepping stones in that path. Believe, continue, know, and then be liberated. I want to look at those four stepping stones. It's critical. And yeah, the first thing. We, we got to believe. We got to trust. We got to display faith. And it's not just faith for the sake of faith. You see that junk all over the TV that this is a man of faith. He's a man of faith. He believes in and he trusts in Satan. Well, that, that ain't, well I'm talking about who is the object of the faith? Who is, it's not faith for faith's sake. It's faith and trust in the Lord. But absolutely believe. And in context with these Jewish leaders, we got to look at the character of their believing, the character of their faith. And so we, we see them kind of starting to believe in verse 31, but we do, again, we see this very same group of people in verse 45, and they're not believing. They're not. Now, make no bones about it. That's kind of tough. But Jesus knew the quality of their faith was not saving faith. They initially had, had believed, but had not committed themselves and their lives to that faith and to that trust. 
This is going to sound harsh, y'all, but there are a lot of people that believe in God. Awesome. That does not equal salvation. I believed in God 37 years. Absolutely no doubt about it. I was lost as a goose and headed straight for hell. But I believed in God. Awesome. Believe in God. There are even people who may even sort of believe that Jesus in some sort of way was his son. There are a lot of people that 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 may be them, but they very well may not be saved. The devil knows exactly who he is. Exactly. He has no doubt exactly who he is. Let me support this a little bit by Scripture. Look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 13. And Jesus had just told uh, these folks a parable, and this parable was about seeds and, and, and the sower and, and about how, how uh, about sowing seeds on different kinds of soil, different surfaces. And he's making the point about how people respond to the gospel. And in verse 13, he says this. He says, and the ones on the rock, he's talking about the seeds, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Yeah, I believe in God. They receive it with joy. But they have no root, and they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. The character of their faith was not authentic. They may, may, may believe a set of facts for a while. That's exactly what we see in John chapter 8. There's a spark of belief in verse 31. But then they deny the truth in verse 45. And Jesus tells them in verse 47, they're lost. Saving faith doesn't work like that, y'all. It, 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 it doesn't work like that. It can't just be turned on and off like a spigot. John chapter 12 and verse 42. You got another group of people. Should be on the screen behind me. Yep. Bunch of them believed. But the Pharisees scared them. And they never confessed that belief because they didn't want to get put to the curb. They didn't want to be excommunicated, so to speak. They didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. And that fear was rooted in the, in the fact that they loved and wanted the praise of men more than the glory that comes from the Lord. On some sort of a level, they believed that Christ was who he claimed he was. But they wouldn't name him as their Lord and Savior. Again, it doesn't work that way. If you're saved, he is your Lord. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's a twofold thing. Believe and confess. Confess and believe. These folks in John chapter 12, they didn't confess him. Why? Because they were hung up on social status and reputation. All that was way more important to them than the Lord. That is not saving faith. It's not. James chapter 2, verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. doesn't say it's sick. It says it's dead. What James is saying here is that if your, your, your faith is not genuine, if nothing happens afterwards, that sounds cold and harsh. But y'all, if there is no change, if there is no change, then what difference did the cross make? What, what, blood was spilled all over, the, all over that cross. And if there's no change, then what difference did Jesus make? He goes on in verse 18, says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James responds to that and says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There is no such thing. Y'all, the pattern of your life is a manifestation of the authenticity of your faith. Does that make sense? The pattern of your life is a manifestation of the authenticity of your faith. And I'm absolutely not saying that works cause your salvation. Absolutely not. I lived the first 37 years of my life like that. It doesn't. You can't do enough good. So I'm not saying that your works save you. They don't. But I am absolutely saying that your salvation ought to cause works. Or he died for nothing. And my Savior did not die for nothing. 
goes on in verse 19. And he says really what I said just a minute ago. You believe that God is one, you do well. There's a little hint of James's sarcasm like in there. You believe that God is one, you believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Let me make this maybe a little clearer. When you believe and, yes, believe and trust, no doubt about it, Abraham, justified by faith. Justified by faith. Ed Griffinagin, 22 years ago, justified by faith. Y'all, when you, and, and here's the belief. When you believe that everything that Jesus said about himself is true, and everything that he said about you is true, and know that everything the devil says about you is a lie. And if he's been beating you down for 20 years, it's all a lie. And everything that God, and you believe that everything that God says about you, you can trust that it's true. When you believe that the, that the love of God that is given to this world and manifests itself with his son, that sacrificial death on the cross, that that's true. And you take your entire life and in submission you place it in his hands. Lord, I surrender to you. I submit everything that I am to you. That's the kind of faith that results in salvation. So yes, step one, believe, no doubt. Step in stone two, Jesus said to them, last part of verse 31, if you continue in my word, if you remain in my word, if you're obedient to my word, Norman said it 10 minutes ago, if you're obedient to my word, you continue in my word, you stay in my word, you saturate yourself in my word, you are for real my disciples. It's Jesus saying that. It's not a condition of salvation, but it is a sign of authentic faith. One of the manifestations of authentic faith I talked about a second ago. If you continue in my word, it's plainly obvious that you are one of my people. In Acts 2, the church is born at Pentecost. Luke writes about these new Jesus followers. And he says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were learning the word. They were sitting at the feet of people who sat at the feet of Christ. A true disciple continues in the word and obeys it and stands in it and stays in it and is saturated in it. Step in stone two. Step in stone three is this, in this pathway to freedom. Verse 32, if your life is saturated in the word, if you sit at the feet of the master... You know what will happen? You will know the truth. You will. You can't not. He is the truth. He is the truth. When I know him who is the truth, then I know the truth. Not like I'll get all A's in my calculus class kind of truth, but big, big truth. Big truth. You know, he is the way. And he is the, the, the life and he is the truth. I know my Savior. And I may not know all the signs, but I know the, know, I know the one who created it all. Y'all, I, I know some history. I may not know all the history, but I, I know the one who planned all of it. I know the moral order of the universe. I know God's design. I know the purpose of existence. I know the essence of true love, and I do know the meaning of life. And you may say, oh, you really know all of that. You must be really smart. Well, definitely not. Well, how do you know all that? Because he came into my life, and he saved me, and he dropped his Holy Spirit inside of me, and he lives in me since that day in 2001. And I know it through his word. I know it through his Holy Spirit who teaches me his word, who illuminates the, the words in the text. Y'all, this is God's word. 
And so I know the truth. I know the truth because of his influence in my life. John 14, 26. Literally says that his Holy Spirit will teach us all things. What a beautiful promise. Beautiful promise. John 16, 13. Says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. When he comes to live in your life, there's a difference. So when I receive Christ, I receive truth. And then the Holy Spirit just drops in and, and he leads me and he guides me from that point on. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them or set them apart. In the truth says the word, your word is truth. I'm going to say it like this. You can't miss it. You can't miss the truth. You got Jesus, the incarnate truth, the living truth, and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me and you into all truth. And God's word is nothing but truth. We have absolutely no excuse. 2,000 years after the cross, we got no excuse. So what happens when you know the truth? This last step in, in, in the path to real freedom, the end of this verse says, says that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Well, free from what? Free from what? Free from Satan's death grip. Free from the chains of spiritual death. Scripture doesn't tell us before Christ that we were sick. It tells us that, that we were dead. He's got a death grip on us. And we're, we, we're set free from that. We're free from the prison of sin. Free from fear and free from self free from peer pressure and people pressure, like nearly free from everything. The shackles of ignorance are shattered and the bondage of, of doubt and fear are gone. And we're liberated into an incredible and awesome new freedom. And once you taste that freedom, it's just so sweet. It's just so sweet. You can't turn it on and off like a spigot. So these two verses, 31 and 32, this path to freedom. And then I want us to look at, I'm, I'm going to say the facade of freedom in your little worship guide. That's what it says. But it's really their facade of freedom, the, the Jewish leadership. Verses 33 and 34 should be on the screen behind me. There you go. So Jesus points to their need for freedom. And their response is, what you talking about, man? We got Abraham's blood pulsing through our veins. How can you say that we will become free when we ain't never been nobody's slave? We're, all, we're, we're already free. We've always been free. That's what they're saying. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, and y'all know the Gospel of John is after the Old Testament. And I just read the Old Testament. And then these people are saying, we ain't never been slaves. And I'm thinking, like, what are you talking about? Your whole history has been a history of enslavement. It's a joke. They're rewriting history. They're revising history. From Babylon to the Medo-Persians to, to Egypt to the Assyrians. And now, effectively, they're slaves to Rome. In their own land, they're slaves to Rome. Well, okay, I thought maybe they're not talking about that kind of slavery, maybe, maybe they were talking about spiritual freedom. And so what they're saying then is that maybe we have a history of physical slavery, but in our hearts we're free because we're God's chosen people, the frozen chosen. And we're secure in that freedom. They're secure in that freedom, they think. They're trying to hold on to that facade that fake external freedom that is somehow in their minds is grounded in their bloodline going back to Abraham. Paul said, addresses this in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And they said in their minds, we got circumcised, we're part of the deal. They were hanging on to that facade. They thought because of their ancestry, they were automatically and permanently free. You can't push a rope. You, you can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to lead a man into freedom if he believes that he's already free. Does that make sense the way I said that? If he does not acknowledge that he is a slave, can't do anything with that. That's why salvation begins with an acknowledgement of the need. Again, I spent 37 years. I didn't need no Jesus. I don't even know who he was. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a great-great-grandson of Abraham. I'm good. That's what I thought. So these people had this built-in automatic defense that was all about their, their genealogy. It was all about their family tree. Like, no, we're good. We don't need all that truth stuff. We don't need that freedom stuff. We don't need any of that Jesus stuff. Abraham's my great-granddaddy, and that's going to get me in. Jesus responds to them, y'all, the truth is guys if you're practicing sin, then you're a slave to that sin. And that word that is used there is doulos in the original language. And if you're a doulos, and there are other words for slave in Scripture, this word is doulos. And if you're a doulos, the only way to not be a doulos is to physically die. When you and I were born, here's the made-up word for the day. When you and I were born... We were born into doulosness. And I gave you even a definition. And if you try to tell me it's an adjective, it's not. I looked it up. It's a noun. It's a noun. We were born a slave to sin. And the only way to not be a slave to sin is to die. It's the only way. It, it is the only way is to die. But I say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, y'all. There's another way to die. Without ending my physical life, I can die to sin. I can die to self. I can die to my self-centeredness. I can die to my selfishness. I can die to my pride. I can be crucified with Christ, Romans 6 tells us. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. Well, when did I die to sin? The day that I put my faith and my trust and surrendered my life to Christ, the day I submitted to his lordship, the day I bent the knee to use Norman's words. Now, it took a little of that to get Ed's knee bent, but y'all, that was the day that I died. When I repented, and I turned away from the sin, and I turned towards him, and I confessed, and I believed, that was the day that I died to sin. When we do baptisms around here, we call it God plunge. And when we do that, the one that's being dunked, as we dunk them, we say you are buried in the likeness of his what? Buried in the likeness of his death and you're raised to walk in the newness of what? Of life. I died to sin and I'm raised to be a new man, a new creation. That's why I said I cannot be the same on this side of the cross, saved as I was when I was on this side and lost. It can't be done. It just can't be done. Buried in the likeness of, a death, of his death. Well, what's buried? The old me is buried. The old me that was a slave to sin. From the day I was born, I was a slave to sin. And so Jesus says, you're a slave to sin and only death can break that. And he says, if we accept him as our leader and our forgiver and our savior, we're identified in his death. And the shackles of slavery are broken and tossed in the trash, never ever to be seen again. Those shackles are done away with. Those chains, they're done away with. Finally, y'all, we see the, the promise of freedom. We've seen the path to freedom. We've seen their facade of freedom. And now, praise the Lord, we see this promise of freedom. Verse 35, and it's weird, verse 35 and 6 are almost like two separate little entities. 
and not the easiest in the world to understand. Verse 35 says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son with a little s remains forever. That's the ESV. The NIV translates verse 35, and it's maybe a little easier to understand. The NIV says, now a slave has no permanent house, excuse me, no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. A slave has no permanent place in the family. That statement emphasizes the difference between a slave and a son. A slave has no permanent standing in the master's household because he can be sold off whenever the master wants. A slave has no legal status, has no rights. But a son always has a place in the family. And the Jews, particularly the Jewish leadership, had a false sense of security because they claimed to be Abraham's children. And they thought that that guaranteed them a permanent place in God's family. But Jesus explains to them that, a, that, that me and you and, and every person that has ever lived, we, we were not sons. They were not sons. They were not daughters. They were not children. They were slaves. They were slaves to sin. You and I were slaves to sin. And if you're not a believer today, you're still a slave to sin. And we may say, well, he's a, he's a really is a good guy by Ed's standards. The Lord would say, no, 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 you're a slave to sin. And so they, they had no permanent standing in the father's house because they were not a son. They were a slave. Well, okay, so now I kind of get it. The deal is to stop being a slave and start being a son. Well, how does that happen? John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God. Only a son enjoys freedom, true freedom. Only a son, only a daughter, only a child. So Jesus shows up and he says, All you slaves, wouldn't you rather be a son or a daughter than a slave? And I'm asking you right now, wouldn't you rather be a child of God than a slave to sin? Wouldn't you? Don't you want to receive all that the Father has in store for you? Don't you want to receive all that the Father gave his own son? Stop being a slave and start being a son or a daughter. How do you do that? You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You get saved, true faith, true trust, authentic, genuine belief. Verse 36 says, so if the Son, with a big S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's saying here that, that the only person, not Buddha, not Muhammad, Pick another, not any of them. The only person that can free a slave is somebody who has a right to do that as an heir. As an heir. Y'all, it's why Matthew was, the gospel of Matthew was so important for me the, in my own personal life. The genealogy in Matthew in chapter 1. Don't none of y'all like the genealogy. I don't imagine. I preached for six months on those 17 verses. You know why? Because the genealogy in Matthew proves that Jesus has a right as an heir to the throne. All the way to him. He is a rightful heir. And he is the only one that can set you free. No other human. No other God. Zeus, Apollo, not your money, not your fame, not your wife, not your husband. No one can set you free other than him. He is the only way. No matter what the world says, no matter, no matter what political correctness says, no matter any of that stuff, Jesus Christ is the only one who has a right to set you free. So the son can release a slave. And so Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, and he has the power, and he has the authority to do it, 
then you'll really be free because there won't be any strings attached. Paul says it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. He says, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, not through works, not through your genealogy, not through anything. He says, in Christ you are sons of God through faith. And if, he goes on in verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How can you be Abraham's offspring if your blood doesn't go to Abraham? You've been grafted in. You've been adopted. Adoption is this beautiful image of salvation. Because when you are adopted, it is as if you were not adopted. It is as if you were born in that line. And he says, through faith, you are absolutely Abraham's offspring. And somebody like me could have blood that goes all the way back to Abraham and be absolutely lost and go into hell. Because there, it, there was no through faith. That's a beautiful thing. Let me give you a couple of thoughts to, to take home. Sin is an insidious thing. And it's got an insidious, nefarious... God, I just wanted to say those two words. It's got this sick twisted way of enslaving us, manipulating us, dominating us, and controlling our actions. And it shows up in, among other things, it shows up in self-centeredness and rebelliousness and hate and anger and lust and dysfunctional love and addiction. And Jesus can free us from that slavery. He can free us from that slavery. And that slavery keeps us from becoming who God wants us to be, who he desires for us to be. Sin jumps in the middle of it, and we become slaves. Well, we are already slaves. But those shackles just, they just weigh us down and down and down and down. And he can free us from all that. Even if the sin has got this like, It's like death grip on you. Jesus, but only Jesus, can just snap it like it's a twig. He himself is truth. He is the truth that sets us free. Eternal, permanent freedom. He alone is the source of truth. He's the perfect standard of what is right. He frees us from the eternal penalty of sin, from the self-deception, from Satan's fraudulent trickery. Don't you know that devil's going to get in your ear all the time and he's going to try to trick you and he's going to try to defraud everything in your life. He's going to try to wreck your life. He's going to tie that shackle around your neck and your wrist and your feet. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I can snap it like it's nothing. Because he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He alone is the way and the truth and the life. And he provides us a way to eternal life with him. And honestly, y'all, since the day I got saved, I cannot understand why anyone would say no. I, I, I just, I, I cannot, I can't understand. And he does not give us freedom. Hear this. He does not give us this freedom to do whatever we want. He gives us freedom to follow God. I'm not freed to sin because I'm forgiven. No, no, no. I'm free now to not sin because I'm forgiven. Please, if you write anything down today, write that down. I'm not free to sin because I'm forgiven. I'm free to not sin. So I want to encourage you today as you look to to in some sort of way to serve the Lord that Jesus' perfect truth frees you to be everything that God wants you to be. And he will never bring shame into your ear. 
He will never bring guilt into your ear. He will never drag up the dumb stuff that you did at a Skinner concert in 1982. He he won't. That's not who he is. That's not what he does, y'all. He doesn't do that. If the stupid stuff we've done is getting drugged back up in our mind and our ear, it is the devil that is doing that. What does free indeed mean? The truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you haven't done that, like I just can't explain to you, words do it no justice. The sweetness of that freedom, the liberation of that freedom, the joy in that freedom. And when I have that freedom and I have that liberation and I have that joy, the ups and downs of life do not affect the joy. Temporally, could I be sad at points? Absolutely. Some of y'all know Christy and Jeff Murphy. Jeff was our first pastor. They planted this church 11 or 12 years ago. Her dad passed away yesterday at 12.05 a.m. You think there's some sadness in their, in their family? Sure. But it is overwhelmingly overcome with the joy of knowing exactly where he is. And it's not some myth to make you feel better. It's not some way for man to, to, to feel better about when they die. No, it's true. It's true. Like it's factually true. He's not sick anymore. He's not in pain anymore. He is in the arms of his Savior. If I could scream it as loud as I can scream, it is all true. Every bit of it. His death on the cross, beaten beyond imagination into a bloody pulp. Worse than you could ever imagine it was. It happened. In history, it happened. Spit on, kicked, punched, thrown in the dirt. Had to carry his own execution instrument. Crown of thorns, not gently placed on his head. Hammered into his skull. It, was, it really happened. They didn't break his legs. Prophecy said they wouldn't. They broke the other guy's legs. They didn't break his legs. He said, to Telestai, it's finished. What's finished? Last words he said on the cross, what's finished? His work is finished. And it's true. It's truth. Like it's all truth. They took his body off the cross. Was he dead? As a doornail, he was dead. Dead. No air in his lungs, heart not beating, dead. Put the EKG machine on him. He was dead. And they put him in that, in that tomb, and they sealed that puppy up, and they put 16 Roman soldiers in front of it. You ain't stealing a body with 16 Roman soldiers in front of the tomb. For a myriad of reasons. You're not getting through them, for sure. And they knew that if somehow it got stolen, they were going to get put on a cross. That's a lie from hell. They did not steal the body. And he went in that tomb and he was dead. And when that stone was rolled away and they look in there, he was really not there. Because he was really alive. In history, the fact is that he was alive. It's truth. It's all truth. Every word that Peter preached at Pentecost, every word that Stephen preached buried halfway in the ground being stoned to death, it's true. Every word that Paul preaches, preached. Every word that Barnabas preached, it's all true. My unbelief, that Jewish leadership in verse 45, 6, and 7, their unbelief doesn't change history. If I believe he didn't come out of the tomb alive, it doesn't mean he didn't come out of the tomb alive. It means I'm stupid. It means I'm going to hell because I'm going to die lost. It doesn't change history because it's all true. 
I cannot encourage you enough today to repent and turn away from the sin and turn towards the Lord. Confess and believe everything that I just said. And you don't have to have a Ph.D., you don't have to have a degree, this degree, that degree. You don't have to be a certain age. Thought about this yesterday. Ed Heinsohn, Christie's daddy, changed the trajectory of an entire family. He was the first one that believed in their family at eight years old. Changed the trajectory of their family. Served the Lord, was he 77? 77 years old. He served the Lord for nearly the next 70 years, faithfully. And my dad got saved 29 hours before he died. They're in the same place. They're probably talking. How crazy is that? Ed probably said, I know your son. That's nuts, y'all. But it's true. It's, it is true. And so I say to you, I'm begging you. If you never said yes, repent, confess, and believe. Today. Y'all pray with me, Lord. We love you today. Lord, we love you exactly as exactly who you are. Lord, we love your justness, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we love that even as we're born a slave to sin, and as the world looks at us, we may not be bad guys, bad ladies. But we are slave to sin nonetheless. And we can never fix ourselves. And so we are so thankful that you can. And Lord, we are so thankful that your word tells us that you take the sin, put it in a big old bag and toss it to the curb as far as the east is from the west. Lord, we're so thankful for that. And so Lord, if anybody is listening to me right now, and they don't know you. Lord, I beg that they would turn away from their sin, turn towards you. Lord, that they would accept the fact that they're a sinner. Believe that your death paid a price that was theirs to pay and that you walked out of that grave alive to provide eternal life with you for them. And so, Lord, we, we do love you, and we do thank you. And it is in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. And, y'all, if you need prayer, there'll be somebody back at, in that back corner would love to pray with you. If you want to come up to the cross, come up to the cross. If you want to talk to me after 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 uh, our service is over, I'll be right over there somewhere. I'd love to talk to you.